You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. There was once a dream. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pocket, because it's time to fly back to Neverland again. I, of course, am your host, the Spider-Pan Jeremy, and I am not alone because... Hello, it's Heather the Windy Nerd. Yeah, she's with me again, and we both have our pixie dust, and we're ready to sprinkle some, right? Sure. Have you happy thought? I guess so, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're going to fly to Neverland. And okay, so the big thing this week was the Jungle Book live-action movie. Yes. Yay! Yes. So we're going to talk all about Jungle Book, and I hope you brought your safari hat because we're going to spend a lot of time in the jungle today. We're going to take a ride on the Jungle Cruise. We're going to go and visit the jungle in the Neverland story time. We're going to go to the trailer park, and we got like, I think, three trailers that I'm going to talk about with Lost Boy Eric. So we've got a lot of stuff to do. So you're going to learn all about the production of the 1967 Jungle Book. You're going to learn about the book, and you're going to hear what we think of the new live-action film all today. But first, there is some feedback that I, I lost it. I had a voicemail. When I was talking to Lost Boy Philip a couple weeks ago, and I haven't gotten a chance to mention this because, like I said, he left a voicemail on my phone, and I had saved it, and I don't know where I put it. Okay, so y'all remember, um, I was sitting around, and I was talking to him, and all right, this is not Disney-related, but this is for The Flash, but I mentioned how Iris and Wally are related, but Wally is her nephew in the comics. Now, of course, in the series, they've made them like brother and sister, so it's kind of weird, but... But Philip said, yeah, he got a little confused on the voicemail, and, you know, and so he, our own DC encyclopedia, Lost Boy Rick, is the one who also left a, uh, a feedback for me. He says, like, uh, do you realize he's got that wrong because they're like niece and, you know, they're like nephew and aunt and stuff like that. And, and that's actually what I was, had kind of thought when I was talking to Philip, and he was like, oh no, but, but yeah, he, he realized he made a boo boo and let me know later, and I had that voicemail, but I figured I better get that correction out there. Because there's probably still people out there like, are they ever going to go and fix that? Either or you really just didn't care because it's not a Disney thing. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. Sorry. All right, yeah, of course. I got nothing. But I, I figured I better get that out there so everybody knows, okay, yes, we realize there was a mistake. I do want to remind everybody to please visit the NeverlandPodcast.com and go to the contact page and send me how you used to play at Star Wars because I've got a big project and I want to have it to you around about May the 4th when it's, of course, May the 4th be with you. Big Star Wars show, so I want to know, how did you play at Star Wars? Did you do anything weird with your figures? Did uh, your G.I. Joes get to play with your Star Wars figures in an expanded universe sort of thing? Did you maybe use Battlestar Galactica with your Star Wars ships? Whatever. Board games, video games, I want to hear your your bits about it. But like I said before, do not put any background music if you're going to record it for me and send it to me, or you can leave it on voicemail. You send it in any way you can. I'm going to assemble it in there. There will be stuff going on in the background. You're going to love it. 
Uh, I got to really get cracking on this thing, and I definitely need some more stuff, and I want to hear from more of you. This is going to be a user-driven show, and it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, but it's time to quit talking about this stuff and go to the jungle. But before we go to the jungle, let's drop off over here by the trailer park. Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that sugar. Come here. Oh. Oh. Get him, Mama. Oh. Get that gator. Ah. The Neverland Trailer Park. You're an interesting man, Mistress Commander. Just like your suitcase, I think there's much more to you than meets the eye. Kicked out of Hogwarts for endangering human life with a beast. Yet one of your teachers argued strongly against your expulsion. I wonder, what makes Albus Dumbledore so fond of you, Mistress Commander? First trip to America? Yes. Must get that fixed. Anything edible in there? Um, uh, no, no. Any livestock? No. Welcome to New York. So, from the wizarding world of Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts, and where to find them. And, of course, oh, by the way, in the trailer park, we're not alone. Lost Boy Eric is here with us in the trailer park. Eric Warren. Eric, 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 Eric Warren. Eric Warren. Don't you just love hanging out in trailers? You gotta love the hanging out in the trailer park. Get your oh, redneck yes. on, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> But so this, all right, granted, yes, this is not a Disney movie, and didn't Universal build this park and not Disney? But, oh my gosh, it's from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Come on, we got to talk about it, right? Oh, yeah. And especially, the, I love that they actually used a little bit of Hedwig's theme in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, this um, definitely, once my wife heard the theme, she was, peeked her head around the corner of what she was doing as I was watching it on uh, my TV, and... You know, she's like, there's a new Harry Potter movie coming? <laughs> close. <laughs> Very close. It's one of, I guess this is going to be a trilogy. Uh, originally, I thought when I'd heard a trilogy that J.K. Rowling was going to just flat out write the scripts instead of books. I thought it was going to be each one of the, the set of three books that she put out that were supposed to be like Hogwarts textbooks, which would be Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, mm. uh, a history of, uh, or Quidditch, Quidditch history, or... Well, I've, I probably got the title wrong. Uh, and then, oh, well, uh, I guess it was A Beetle the Bard. Yeah, Tales of Beetle the Bard. Yeah, which I now have two copies of that book because I bought it when it was released the first time. And then when, they, when it was released like a, like this, this, in this set, I ended up getting a second copy. But there are minor differences. Uh, you know, and it's got some extra different stuff from the, uh, 
Deathly Hollows in there. So it's pretty mm-hmm. cool to have both copies of it. But I thought there was going to be maybe a movie based around each one. Quidditch Through the Ages, that's where it was. Yeah. Because a Quidditch movie might have been cool. Oh, certainly. But here we get to take a, a look uh, and expand the world of uh, that surrounds Harry Potter and see what was happening in America in the uh, early 20th century as far as wizarding goes. Yeah, and I, I don't know what Newt's commander is doing. Has, uh, I, I figure probably the ministry may have sent him, I, if I remember correctly, I think it does talk about this in the in the book that he was sent to go and categorize all the different magical creatures in the world. So he's, I guess, collected a bunch of them in this case, and he's maybe in America looking for some other creatures. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what we saw in that previous teaser, you know, uh, somebody uh, got out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, it... it- Certainly has callbacks back to Goblet of Fire with his uh, suitcase being able to have multiple compartments like, uh, <laughs> you know, what we read in Goblet of Fire. Um, a lot of callbacks to that as well. Yeah, and also so. Hermione's handbag in, mm-hmm. um, in the Deathly Hollows. Oh, yes, yes. I also think of uh, Doctor Who because it's bigger on the inside. Because mm-hmm. we do actually in this trailer, if you get to see visually, uh, we see Newt's commander actually get up, put the put the case on the ground, open it up, and then climb into it and, and go down it like he's going downstairs. And his hand comes up and waves the guy who uh, apparently is a Muggle character. He's going to wave him down to follow him. Yeah, and <laughs> Which, I was wondering that myself. You know, is this uh, other character? Is he a Muggle? You know, why is he involved with uh, the Wizarding world at this point? Um, but even just the milieu, the you know nineteen twenties era of America that they're coming into and that they're exploring and that they're looking around at. It, that was just so fascinating for me to see. Yes. A very nice, d- nicely done stylistically. Uh, I'm still skeptical on David Yates directing. I haven't really been a huge fan of uh, his way, you know, with when he's took over the Harry Potter series uh, and changed the tone of it so much. And uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't a really, I, I, I mean, I still liked them. But it's like he toned down the magic part of a magical world, uh, you know, where spells suddenly didn't really seem to have their colors that they had had before. And it was more just a quick flash, if anything. But, you know, there is mention in the books that usually a, uh, a you know, a big flash or whatever is a sign of a not very gifted wizard or untrained wizard because they, they should get it to where it's under control where it's not so much of a big noise. Mm-hmm. But I liked – that, you know, the, you had different colors of magic bolts that would fly around in the, some of the early movies when there was like maybe a fight. And then we get to where there are actual full wizard combat duels going on in those later movies. And they're just swinging the things around and there's maybe flashes or something going on. I'm like, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel the danger. I just see people waving sticks around, you know, so I, I wasn't really keen on that. Uh, aspect and how it was so dark and so serious that it almost took some of the fun out of it. But I, I'm kind of surprised David Yates is back again, but I guess they really trust his direction. So he's back to direct this one. Well, I am interested in seeing where they go with this and uh, seeing what this leads into with this new trilogy. Yep. And I'm also very interested. Uh, did, was that Colin Farrell I saw in there? I believe it was. <laughs> oh, you know, I honestly don't know. 
Yeah, he he looked a little different, but I'm pretty sure that was him. And I think he's uh, you know, there's this big poster for somebody named Shaw. Mm-hmm. I think that's him. And I don't know if it's if he's running for the new Minister of Magic or whatever they're going to call it in the American version. I hear there's even a different word for Muggles in America. Mm-hmm. So I'm I I think he might be. I don't know. I somehow I just, just suspect him as a villainous type of role, which he does very well. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely, they're setting up whoever Shaw is to be a villain. So, yeah, it just seems that way. You don't get a whole lot from this, but I think this trailer does exactly what it's meant to do: is to show some of the lighthearted humor. That uh, I, I, I'm, I'm liking that this is a script directly from J.K. Rowling because she does have a pretty fun sense of humor, mm-hmm. and uh, I like the humor basically shown with the and when he's presenting the case for inspection. You know, when he's traveled in by boat, and of course they want to check your baggage, and he's got the little switch to. Uh, Make it go muggle worthy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like that. It's funny, and I'm like, so I'm glad J.K. Rowling's humor is being preserved in here because she wrote the script directly for this. Um, so that I, I think showing a bit of that humor and just a little bit of the story is plenty enough to get us excited, especially with as we mentioned, hearing a little bit of the Hedwig theme is enough to get your wife's attention into the room. Like it's a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, and uh, I just double checked IMDb, and yes, that is Colin Farrell uh, as Percival Graves. Oh, so he's not this Shaw guy. No. Henry Shaw Sr., however, is played by John Voight. Oh, really? Wow. So, see? But I can't find anything further about who Shaw himself may be. So. Oh, here we go. Uh, Josh Cowdery as Senator Henry Shaw. But that's it. That's all that I'm seeing here on IMDb mm. about uh, that character. Well, as usual, so some high-caliber actors popping up in these Harry Potter movies. Oh, Although definitely. this isn't a Harry Potter movie, it's a you know, Wizarding World. So, But who knows, if these go over well, we might find more movies within the Wizarding World. I'm sure Universal Studios theme parks would be very excited about more stuff that they can put in their parks. Mm-hmm. Well, and we know that J.K. Rowling certainly has more stories to tell uh, between yeah. this and uh, the, the Troubled Child. The new stage play that uh, she's written. Um, Which I have heard there's going to be some sort of a book now of yeah. that released. Yeah. So, in case you don't get a chance to see both plays, <laughs> two-parter. <sighs> so, so yeah. yes, another book. And, and so still more Harry Potter on the way. But, uh, you know, what else? what else is hiding there behind that trailer there? Oh, well, my goodness. Uh, it might be kind of easy to see it because it's a little tall. It's a BFG. It was the witching hour when the boogeyman comes out. The girls say the witching hour arrives at midnight. I think it comes at three in the morning when I'm the only one left awake. Like now.
giant country. Here's your lonely heart. I was hearing all the secret whisperings of the world. Rance. Sophie, hide. Does you have any surprise? <laughs> Okay, so this one, it starts out a little bit like the teaser where, you know, he's talking about, oh, it was the witching hour when it happened. And we get to see where the big hand comes in and grabs a little girl out of bed. But now we get a little bit more uh, and get to see this this giant running away with the child, which we know this is supposed to be like big friendly giant. So we know that there's not any real danger. Uh, the one thing that, that, that bugs me when I look at this is I, I think it would have been possible to have... Maybe some actual actors play the giants to where they would look a little bit more real and a little less CG because they're – I don't know. It's just a little cartoony looking to me. Mm -hmm. But maybe that helps them look more friendly and not scary. Could be. But, you know, this is in the hands of Steven Spielberg. Good hands. Yeah, he's proven he knows what he's doing. And, you know, well, I'm looking forward to his next movie after this one, uh, Ready Player (laughs) One. Ready Player One? Yeah. the, the only Spielberg movie that I've really been disappointed in at the time was Hook. Um, really? And, and I've actually gained a better appreciation for that since. But, uh, you know, I'm still of the mindset that Spielberg really cannot do anything wrong. He's got the chops behind him. He knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I think this is a return to some of, you know, the, the style of the movies that he was making back in the 80s, or both making and producing. Yeah, with uh, the fun whimsy of a child in a in a fantastic situation. Exactly. Uh, and even I uh I I I'm intrigued by that last shot so that they have where the giant friend now that we find that there are bigger giants than even him and they're mm-hmm. kind of mean and nasty so you know no telling what's going on. I mean unless you've read the book you really don't know what the story of this is. They've been very secretive. All we know is it looks pretty fantastic. And I'm sure we've got some pretty good motion capture going on with the Giants. So, I mean, even though they look a little cartoony, maybe when you get to see them on film, they will see some more realism and some expression and emotion on there that will just completely buy into them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I know that they've got some good actors uh, behind them uh, with Bill Hader and um, – oh, no, now I'm blanking out on his name. One of the – Jermaine Clement is another one of those uh, Giants. I know I know that name, but I can't think of him. Uh, Flight of the Concords. Um, trying to think what else he has been in that's coming. The only other thing that's coming to my mind is he was the big bad guy in Men in Black 3. Okay, and I know I saw that movie. I, I, I did love Men in Black 3. But I can't think. Oh, he, I know he was he on so much makeup. He was weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you didn't really get a good look at him. He had the big things over his eyes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The best part of Men in Black 3, though, was the, the one alien that could see all possible futures. Yes, yes. That was a good addition. I love that character. 
And Heather, Heather said, you know what? If you were have gotten a chance to play a role, you would have won that one. I was like, exactly. I could have totally played that guy. <laughs> I saw so much of my own weird personality in that guy. I was like, oh, my gosh, I love him. So – so BFG, we still they're still teasing us, but they're 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 just building interest, just giving us enough and letting everybody know. Oh, by the way, you remember that book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Same writers, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> and John Williams is doing the music. Oh yes, <sighs> I'm sold right there. Steven Spielberg, John Williams, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. Take my money. Let's go to the cinema. <laughs> All right, I guess we better go on to the next thing in the trailer park. Uh, been something rather strange in the trailer park. Stephen Strange. Might I offer you some advice? Forget everything that you think you know. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole. You've spent your life trying to widen it. Your work saved the lives of thousands. What if I told you that reality is one of many? I don't believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. You wonder what I see in your future? Possibility. Why are you doing this? There are other ways to save lives. So much you don't know. Okay, so we knew Benedict Cumberbatch was perfectly cast for this, but holy cow. <laughs> wow. Wow. And- yeah. There is one thing I have to question about this trailer is you see where, you know, after the automobile accident, for people who are not familiar with the, uh, Dr. Strange's origin story is he was a, I, well, I can't remember, was he a brain surgeon or oh, I know he was just a very gifted surgeon. Right. That in a, in a, in a very bad automobile accident, he broke his hands and was not able to perform surgery anymore. Well, and, um, and not only was he extremely skilled, he was extremely arrogant as well. Yes. But w- what gets me is, okay, so you see his car is in the water. How has he not drowned? Hmm. Because he's unconscious, he's in water, his hands are broken, so, and it just looks like he's sitting there. I'm like, please tell me there's like a rescue that happens really quick because there's no logical reason I can see him surviving the crash when he's face down in the water. Uh, you know, the car's, you know, front end, you know, I, I just don't understand. But, you know, the movie's still coming. We haven't gotten to see the whole thing, but he just looks like he should be dead. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Kevin Feige's got a surprise waiting with that. Oh, of course he does. 
<laughs> it's Kevin Feige after all. And but, well, I wonder, I, um, I, I'd almost wonder if maybe at the beginning of the movie, and I, I'm thinking, you know, the Deadpool movie where you kind of, you're, you're getting him like, oh, by the way, let me, he's like, let me recap what happened up until this point. You're already in the middle of a story at the beginning of the Deadpool movie. And then he kind of goes back and fills in up to that, that point in the story. I almost wonder if we're going to start at the accident and maybe he's, his laugh, life is flashing before his eyes. And then, so maybe they'll go and show all his stuff before that moment. Mm-hmm. Sort of like Iron Man did. You started at the, at the beginning of when he's, you know, getting, uh, hit with the shrapnel and taken by the uh, the Ten Rings, and then it flashes back to everything that happened up to that point. You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering if that's what they're doing. It's, it, it feels that way to me. At yeah, least. and and especially as they were using similar images from his life before the crash and his life after the crash. Yeah, it seems kind of that like it's going that way. But, but I I do appreciate that uh, since he is supposed to be going off to somewhere in the Orient. To learn the mystical arcs, they have definitely given it a a kung fu movie feel. Uh, when uh, and I don't know what the master was supposed to normally look like, and I, it's been I've actually read the first issue of of this as a reprint. Mm. I don't remember what the master looked like, but having uh, uh, I can't think of the actress's name, but she Tilda was Swinton. in the Chronicles of Narnia. Tilda Swinton, thank mm-hmm. you. But having her and she does like this kung fu move to knock his spirit out of his body. <laughs> I loved that. Knock him into the astral plane. Yes. So cool. <laughs> but you were about to say something before? Oh, no. Um, I don't recall what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this this is looking really good. And, again, Marvel's had a great track record with all of the movies that they've been putting out. And this looks to be living up to that record as well. I'm really oh, yeah. excited to see where it's going to go and, and what they do with uh, with. You know the entire concept of Doctor Strange. Um, I couldn't help but feel a, a little twinge of uh, Inception in there as well, with the city bending. And but I noticed that there was a single figure falling from the top of the screen towards the bottom of the screen. Um, there, as that was happening. And I, I'm sorry, my daughter is asking if I'm coming with them. I'm afraid I'm not. But uh, <laughs> sorry about that, everyone. But, uh, yeah, definitely some great imagery that's coming up here. If we can get, you know, imagery, you know, echoing the Steve Ditko era of mm. just wild and crazy shapes and tellers. Um, and I, I, I have to assume that, uh, with their relaunch Doctor Strange title, that some of the imagery from that's going to have to be reflected in this movie as well with how magic is being depicted. So I, I'm, re- again, I'm really excited to see what, what direction they're going to take with this, where they go, and, uh, you know, see if, uh, you know, Dormammu is really our uh, main villain here and find out just uh, what's in store. Oh, yeah. This was such a great tease, too, because, although this is kind of funny. We've gotten to see pictures of Benedict Cumberbatch in the full Doctor Strange costume, which mm-hmm. looks fantastic. But it's funny that at the end of this trailer, we just get a tease of him with the, the famous Doctor Strange window, which probably has a specific name. But he's walking at the window, and the cape is just billowing. We just kind of see shadows, so we don't actually get to see the full costume. We mm-hmm. just kind of get to see that image as if we don't know what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I did see a meme on uh, Facebook with... Uh, a couple of his other movies uh, with movie posters that all show him with his back to the viewer. So, (laughs) 
Well, you know, not everybody goes and pays attention to stuff on the internet. After all, I uh, when I went to what, – what, what movie was I going to? Now I can't remember what it was, but they showed the Civil War trailer. And mm-hmm. when Spider-Man popped up, the guy in front of me, bless his heart, says, I didn't know Spider-Man was going to be in this. And I was like, oh, you know, I wish I could have seen it with your eyes because it must have been just such a surprise. Oh, yeah. Because you know, with the internet and you pay attention and, you know, basically doing a podcast, I have to pay attention. Mm. You know, I knew it was coming. I was just waiting for it and I'd already gotten to see the trailer. But to see it for the first time in a theater and not knowing Spider-Man's about to make an appearance and not even knowing he's even in the movie, that must have just blown his mind. Oh, I'll bet. And, you know, from everything I've been hearing, Spider-Man's got a pretty good role coming up in Civil War. So I'm excited to see mm-hmm. what happens there and. You know, it, it's a good time to be a fan of comics. Especially Marvel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, Doctor Strange, I thought was going to be like an August movie, kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, that late summer type of thing. Mm-hmm. I find it very interesting that it says it's coming in November. Yeah. Which is interesting because I guess it's December that Rogue One is coming because I know that's coming around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Disney thinks Christmas time is Star Wars time after The Force Awakens did so well. So. <laughs> But I, I guess maybe they're going to try to make us feel like Doctor Strange is a good Christmas type of movie. Or at least a good Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's something for the holidays. Get the family together and go watch a man jump into other realms and other dimensions with mm. weird mystical arts. <laughs> well, it, it's actually going to be coming out just after Halloween, the 4th of November. So, you know. You think there'll still be some Halloween crowd still interested in, a, in the Sorcerer Supreme? I think so. Could be. Either way, take the whole family. It's going to be fun. And a little confusing, probably, and weird. But that's why they call him <laughs> Doctor Strange. Let's take a ride at a Disney park. Let's take a ride right now. Oh, oh. We're going to take a jungle cruise. On one of these boats.
Okay, so speaking of movies, uh, there of course is a Jungle Book live action movie that is, uh, has popped out here this weekend, but I thought it would be fun to take a look back to 1967, when the original Jungle Book film 
had come out. And uh, I, we found some fun information about the production and about uh, just a really great film. And uh, also, my wife has read both books, so uh, prepare to hear about the, the two Jungle Books that exist, which actually some material was pulled out of the second book, uh, King Louie Having a Treasure being one of them. Uh, that's something that uh, you, you can kind of see in the Jungle Book animated, but it's not really a big deal. But the, the first attempt at a live-action Jungle Book movie made it a big deal of The Treasure of King Louie. Uh, but I don't know how much that one actually follows any of the books, so I'm going to have to ask Heather about that one. But uh, this actually, the, the fun thing is this starts here, and uh, I'll maybe just go ahead and start with this here. Uh, after The Sword and the Stone was released, storyman Bill Pete claimed to Walt Disney that we, the animation department, can do more interesting animal characters and suggested that Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book could be used for the studio's next film. And Disney agreed, and Pete created an original treatment with a little supervision, as he had done with 101 Dalmatians and The Sword and the Stone. However, after the disappointing reaction to The Sword and the Stone, Walt Disney decided to become more involved in the story than he had been in the past two films, with his nephew Roy E. Disney saying that he certainly influenced everything about it. With Jungle Book, he obviously got hooked on the jungle and the characters that lived there. Now, Pete uh, did decide to follow the dramatic, dark, and sinister tone that was in Kipling's book, which really was about the struggles between animals and man. However, the film's writers decided to make the story a bit more straightforward and mainly because the novel itself is very episodic, with Mowgli going back and forth from the jungle to the man-village. Now, Pete felt that Mowgli returning to the man-village should be the ending for the film. Uh, with suggestions, he created two original characters, the human girl, for which Mowgli falls in love, uh, as the animators felt that falling in love would be really the best excuse for Mowgli to leave the jungle. Yeah, I believe uh, Baloo says, uh, they're nothing but trouble. <laughs> That's what they always say in these Disney movies, that you get Twitter-pated and mm. nothing but trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but they, you know, as you mentioned earlier, they also added Louie, King of the Monkeys. Now, mm -hmm. Louie was a less comical character uh, in uh, the Jungle Book, the, the second Jungle Book, you know, trying to enslave Mowgli to get him to teach him how to make fire. And again, he had gold and jewels under his ruins. Um, in the original uh, second Jungle Book novel, after right. Mowgli got back to the man village, a poacher would drag him back into the ruins to look for that treasure. Uh, now, Walt wasn't really pleased with how the story was turning out. He felt that it was too dark for family viewing, and he insisted upon the script changes. Now, Bill Pete refused, and after a long argument, it ended up with Pete leaving the studio for good. Yeah, and left it in January of 1964. Yeah, we're, we're getting close to the end for Walt's life. <gasps> But, uh, uh, Disney then assigned Larry Clemens as his new writer, and one of the four storymen for the film, giving Clemens a copy of Kipling books, he tells him, the first thing I want you to do is not read it. <laughs> so, <laughs> which was apparently uh, did, you know some, something similar with the Sherman Brothers, who would yep. have, have write music. said, well, here's a copy of the book, at, uh, but you know, we're not sticking to it too much. Uh, but they did They did every song except for The Bare Necessities was actually written by the original songwriter, uh, which... Uh, I know I saw his name on our list. Um, we'll look that up later. Uh, but uh, that's, I uh, found yeah. that to be very interesting. Oh, that was Terry Gilkison. There we go. 
And so he wrote The Bare Necessities, and the Sherman Brothers did the rest. But it all really fit together. Uh, but anyways, Clemens still looked at the novel, and he thought it was too disjointed without any continuing, and so it needed adaptations to fit the film script, which, as has been mentioned, and my wife has even told me, it's very much episodic and very much stories, and King Louis is not near comical, and so they recreated him to be comical. And I think that's why in the live action we are seeing in the in the right now I haven't seen the movie yet when we're recording but you're seeing King Louis is kind of big and kind of scary as he's chasing Mowgli out because I guess Mowgli is going to say I don't know how to make fire but uh, anyways but uh, they needed some adaptations to fit it to a film script and Clemens wanted to start in medias race which basically it's a old Latin term for in the middle of things uh, with a few flashbacks afterwards. But then Disney said to focus on doing the storyline a little bit more straight. He said, let's do the meat of the picture, let's establish the characters, and let's have fun with it. Although much of Bill Peet's work was discarded, the personalities of the characters remained in the final film, and this was because Disney felt that the story would be kept should be kept simple, and the characters should drive the story. So Disney took an active role in the story meetings, acting out each role and helping to explore the emotions of the characters, helping to create gags and develop emotional sequences, and Clemens would write a rough script on an outline, with an outline for most of these sequences, and the story artists would then discuss how to fill the scenes, including some comedic gags to use, and uh, then also the script tried to incorporate how the voice actors molded their characters and interacted with each other. Uh, and The Jungle Book also marks the last animated film from the company to have Disney's personal touches before his death on December 15, 1966. You know, uh, Wolfgang Reitherman actually said uh, about the casting, in the Jungle Book, we try to incorporate the personalities of the actors that do the voices in the cartoon characters. And we came up with something totally different. When Phil Harris did the voice of Baloo, he gave it the bubble of life. We didn't just coach him, just let it happen. You know, there were many familiar voices which inspired the animators in the creation of their characters and helped them shape their personalities. And the use of familiar voices for key characters up until this point had really been a rarity in Disney's films. You know, in fact, most of the staff was shocked to hear that Phil Harris, who was a wisecracking comedian, was going to be in a Kipling film. You know, Phil Harris, he was known for, for his big band, for his music, and, you know, for being on the Jack Benny show. Um, you, yes, and his southern charm, where corn my poem. <laughs> if you haven't gotten to listen to any old radio show of Jack Benny, go to your local library and see if they have it on CD, because a lot of times they have it, and it's uh, it's hilarious. And Phil Harris is really, really funny, and his part of his, you know, Jack Benny's kind of gimmick was that he was supposed to be really cheap and a kind of a tightwad, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phil Harris's thing is that he was supposed to be a bit of an alcoholic, and uh, they just went with it, and it was really funny. And eventually, Phil Harris landed his own radio show with his wife, mm-hmm. Alice Faye. Yeah, another good source for uh, Jack Benny is going to be YouTube. There's a lot of his programs that have been uploaded up there as well. Yeah, he even had Walt Disney on his show once. <laughs> Which is a good one. <laughs> yes, it's hilarious. He's trying to cheap out and get a bunch of free tickets to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, you know, it was actually Walt who suggested uh, Harris as a character after meeting him at a party. Now, Bill Harris did improvise most of his lines. He considered the scripted lines not to feel natural enough. Uh, after he was cast... Uh, Jimmy Johnson, who was the president of Disney Records, suggested that uh, Disney get Louis Prima as King Louis. He felt that uh, Louis would be a great foil. What all, or, Walt also cast other prominent actors, such as George Sanders as Shere Khan, 
Sebastian Capot as Bagheera, and he cast regular Disney voices like Sterling Holloway as Ka, J. Pat O'Malley as Colonel Hothi and Buzzy the Vulture, as well as Verna Felton as Hothi's wife. This happened to be Verna Felton's last film before she died. Now, they had originally cast David Bailey as Mowgli's character, um, but his voice changed during production, and Bailey wasn't really Peter Brady jumps in my head. I can't help it. <laughs> Everybody's got to change. change. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, continue. Well, he, he just didn't fit the young innocence of Mowgli's character at which the producers were aiming. You know, at that point then, uh, Wooly, or, yeah, Wooly Reitherman, who was the director, he stepped in and he cast his son, Bruce. Now, Bruce had also been heard as Christopher Robin in Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree. Uh, the animator shot footage of Bruce as a guide for the character's performance. They also had uh, child actress Darling Carr, uh, who was the one who sang My Own Home. In fact, that was actually recorded as a demo. Uh, her performance impressed Disney enough for him to cast her in the role of that girl at the end of the movie. Yeah, some other uh, notable cast members I saw was Hal Smith, which uh, many of you might know Hal Smith as being Owl from the Winnie the Pooh films. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what did I see that he played? I remember seeing him listed, and now I can't find it. <laughs> but Hal Smith, he was also on the Andy Griffith show. Uh, also, Adventures and Odyssey fans or Adventures and Odyssey fans will recognize Hal Smith as being the original wit. Oh yeah, there is. Hal Smith was a slob elephant and a monkey. He, but he's uncredited for the monkey apparently. Well, that's I thought that was interesting because you know Hal Smith was just awesome, uh, but a lot of these other voices that you also mentioned like uh, Sebastian Cabot, when you hear him, you're going to recognize him from. Uh, I believe he was also in Robin Hood as well as Phil Harris, of course, was Little John. Sebastian Cabot, I believe he was also in Robin Hood. Uh, uh, he so was actually in Sword of the Stone. Was it Sword of the Stone? Mm-hmm. Because you, you hear a lot of voices and you're, you're going to recognize them uh, as being in a lot of other ones. And George Sanders. Um, I believe he was Prince John, but only he's doing a different style, but it, he sounds similar. I'm, I'm going to look this up. I want to be sure before I say this, well, certainly, but uh, I know a lot of these actors did come back for Robin Hood, uh, but let me let me take a look here. Um, uh, I'm actually out. showing that, no, he was not in Robin Hood. He wasn't. I know there's something else no. he did. Oh, the narrator. That's Bagheera. That's why I recognize... I remember last time I was watching it, I recognized his voice. He's the narrator on Winnie the Pooh. That was... Okay, and that's, of course, Sebastian Cabot. Uh, He was a narrator for Winnie the Pooh. Now, where is it that I know George Sanders from? Because his voice, I know, it just sounds familiar every time I hear Shere Khan, and I'm thinking there's another Disney film on his resume. Well, I believe he was in the old Hitchcock movie, Rebecca. Also, a picture of Dorian Gray, I see, but uh, I just, I don't know, when I hear his voice, I'm thinking there's something else he did with Disney, but, you know, I don't find... Well, he was Mr. Freeze in the old Batman TV series in 1966. Ah, there we go. And he was Colonel Roger Barr, actually, on a Daniel Boone TV series, which I believe... Didn't Disney do that one as well? Not, or oh, did, which, or just the which Davy, series? The Daniel Boone, because I know they did Davy Crockett, but the Daniel Boone, I know that uh, was similar... I don't know that they necessarily was the same. Uh, yeah, was da- yeah, Daniel Boone wasn't Disney. That it was, was uh, but I, I, I think they did yeah. try to get Fess Barker, and maybe they did in uh, some sort of Daniel Boone series. And my wife has said something about that before. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> well, and he, he was also in the uh, sequel to The Pink Panther. Um, 
Oh, well, now I'm blanking out of it. Uh, a Shot in the Dark. Oh, but he was also, uh, another Disney production that he was in, was In Search of the Castaways. Oh, uh... With Haley Mills yeah. and Marie Chevalier. Yeah, I was trying to think, oh, and the very famous French singer who sings that really, really fun Sherman song, the, uh... Enjoy, Enjoy it. it! Yes! Love it, love Marie it, love Chevalier. it. Marie Chevalier. And I've never seen that movie, but that's a great song. Uh, but anyways, uh, in the original book... The vultures are grim and evil characters who feast on the dead. Uh, and Ka is actually a friend of Mowgli's in the book, and that's been completely changed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Disney lightened up the, the vultures by having the vultures bearing a physical and vocal resemblance to the Beatles, which, yes, because they do have that mop-top haircut, and I always have seen that. It's like, it's the Beatles. And it was also planned to have the members of the band to both voice the characters and sing their song, That's What Friends Are For. However, scheduling conflicts added to John Lennon reacting badly lead to the eye of being discarded. And the casting of the Vultures still brought a British invasion musician, Chad Stewart, of the duo Chad and Jeremy. No, it wasn't me. Uh, in earlier <laughs> drafts of the scene, the Vultures had a nearsighted rhinoceros friend named Rocky, who was to be voiced by Frank Fontaine, but Walt decided to cut the character for feeling that the film had already too much action with the monkeys and the Vulture. Now, this I find this very interesting that the scheduling conflicts of getting the Beatles in on this uh, and uh, John Lennon kind of reacting badly. It's kind of funny that wasn't John Lennon the one who was actually in Walt Disney World when the Beatles broke up? Yep. Yep. Interesting That's how that happened. works out. Hmm. At the Poly- was it, I'm not sure if it was the Polynesian or the Contemporary. I think it's it the one Contemporary. Of the Very uh, interesting. <laughs> hmm. Maybe he should have went ahead and done the movie and not reacted badly, huh? <laughs> huh? Huh? Hard to say. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, while while many of the later Disney feature films have animators responsible for a single character, in the Jungle Book, animators were put in charge of a whole sequence, since a, a lot of the characters are really interacting with one another. Uh, the animation, it was uh, done by Xeriography, which was pioneered back in 101 Dalmatians. The character design was led by Ken Anderson, uh, who did a lot of work on the Haunted Mansion. Yes, he uh, did. He employed rough artistic edges in contrast to the round animals that were seen in productions like Dumbo. Now, he also decided to make Shere Khan resemble his voice actor, George Sanders, as we were just speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the backgrounds were hand-painted, with the exception of the waterfall, and consisted mostly of footage uh, that happened to consist mostly of footage from Angel Falls. And sometimes scenery was used in both foreground and bottom to create a, no- uh, a notion of depth. Depth. D-E-P-T-H. <laughs> now, one of Rytherman's trademarks of reusing animation uh, was used in this film as well. Yeah. In which the wolf cubs are based on the dogs from 101 Dalmatians. Mm-hmm. Now, Milk Call, one of the animators, uh, based Bagheera in Shere Khan's movements on live-action felines, which he saw in a couple of Disney productions, The Tiger Walks, and the Jungle Cat episode of True Life Adventures. Baloo was based on footage of bears, and even incorporated the, their pension for scratching, which was also shown in Zootopia as yeah. well. Yeah. Now, since Ka has no limbs, its design received big expressive eyes and parts of Ka's body that did the action normally uh, that would have would have been done with hands. Now, the monkey's dance during I Want to Be Like You was partly inspired by a performance that Louis Prima did with his band at the Disney Soundstage to convince Walt Disney to cast him. 
Now, it's kind of funny we talk about uh, reusing some of the animation. Uh, the, did you see uh, Screen Junkies did a uh, honest trailer for the 67 Jungle Book? And they actually showed some of the uh, – where there was the exact same animation of Bagheera at two different times. But the background would be different, but it was in the same you know, same basic position. Or maybe it was just reversed, but you could tell it was the same animation. <laughs> Mm. Much like when you oh. watch the old uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe cartoon, you kind of can see them trying to reuse a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, and I love looking for those Disney duplicates. You know, a, a really easy one is going to be the dance of King Louie with Baloo, where he's dancing on his belly for a second. You can see that duplicated in Robin Hood with, uh, uh, oh, the chicken dancing on mm-hmm. Little John. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's it, you can find videos on YouTube finding where these uh, duplicates uh, can be shown out. Yeah. Uh, and as we already mentioned, uh, the uh, seven of the songs were by the Sherman Brothers and one by Terry Gillickson. And uh, with the longtime Disney collaborator Gillickson was the first songwriter to bring several complete songs which followed the book closely but Walt Disney felt that his efforts were too dark and so of course they kept the bare necessities and had the Sherman Brothers go and do the rest which we we kind of already mentioned Uh, but jumping out to the theatrical run it was released in October of 1967 just 10 months after Walt's deaths uh, and it, it was shown on some copies, at least, it was a double feature with Charlie the Lonesome Cougar, which that was also a Disney live-action film. I, I haven't seen that one, but I've seen some uh, clips of it. Uh, and that was actually produced on a budget of $4 million. I guess it was The Jungle Book was produced on a budget of $4 million. And the mm-hmm. film was a massive success, finishing 1967 as the fourth highest grossing movie of the year. And so The Jungle Book was re-released theatrically in North America three times in 1978, 1984, and 1990, and also in in Europe throughout the 1980s, and so the total gross is 141 million in the United States and 205 million worldwide. Uh, now, in the, adjusting for inflation, it is uh, right now at the 29th highest-grossing film of all time in the United States, and uh, estimated about 108 million alone came from the Germany making it their third highest grossing film of all time in Germany, only behind Avatar at 137 million and Titanic at 105 million. Pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. So this is a big, big film. So, of course, they wanted to remake it as a live action because, well, they're making everything in live action. But, you know, you got such a successful movie like that, you know, you might as well just turn it around, do something similar with the live action. And as as we've been noting um, before we started recording, they've brought all the songs back and just re-recorded with the actors now. So the songs are still in it. And I am so excited to, to have seen that that was the, the tack that they took. You know, when, when I first saw the previews and knew that this was in production, I was thinking that they were going to follow the, the dark nature of the original novel. So I'm very excited to see that, you know, even just the, the notion, the knowing that they're including these songs, they're going to go with, you know, while the imagery is dark based mm-hmm. upon the previews, yeah. they're still going to go with the lighthearted story. So I'm, no, excited to see it, and hopefully we'll be able to review that here really soon. Yep, and if you hear a review in this show, then you know one of us managed to get out to see it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I need to talk to Heather about the books. So why don't I just go ahead and get her? This is your Neverland story time. You can listen along with your MP3 device. You will know it is time to listen when you hear the chime like this. Let's begin now. This is a Walt Disney original little long playing record. 
and I am your Disneyland story reader. I am going to begin now to read the story of Jungle Book. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when Tinkerbell rings her little bells like this. Let's begin now. This is the story of a man-baby who was found in the jungle by Bagheera the panther. Bagheera carried the baby to his friends, the wolves. The wolves raised the baby as their own. They named him Mowgli. Mowgli learned to take care of himself in the jungle. But Bagheera the panther was always nearby. He was ever ready to protect little Mowgli. The elephants became his friends. Even the elephant's gruff leader, Colonel Hathi, became Mowgli's friend. It was Colonel Hathi who marched every day at the head of his elephant patrol. Not everyone in the jungle was Mowgli's friend. There was Hungry Ka, the constrictor. His eyes could hypnotize almost anyone, and his coils could crush almost anything. Mowgli's most dangerous enemy was Shere Khan, the man-hating tiger. Shere Khan was determined to kill the man-cub Mowgli before he had a chance to become a man. The leader of the wolf pack decided there was only one way to keep Mowgli safe. The boy must be taken to the man-village, they said. Bagheera agreed to take him there. Mowgli thought he and Bagheera were on just another walk in the jungle. Then Bagheera told him where they really were going. Mowgli cried, No! I want to stay in the jungle! Mowgli would not listen to Bagheera, and he ran into the jungle alone. He was not alone very long. Within minutes, he was befriended by a happy-go-lucky jungle bear named Baloo. After a while, Baloo and Mowgli went swimming in the river. Baloo floated on his back, and Mowgli rode high and dry on the bear's fat tummy. Suddenly, Mowgli was whisked up into the treetops. A band of monkeys had reached down from an overhanging limb and had grabbed him. The monkeys took Mowgli to the ruins of an ancient temple. There, the king of the monkeys was eating bananas. He was waiting anxiously to see the captive. Tell me the secret of man's red fire, King Louis said. But Mowgli did not know how to make fire. He could not tell the king the secret, even though his very life depended on it. Fortunately, Baloo and Bagheera arrived, just as King Louis was getting angry with Mowgli. Quickly, they figured out a way to save their friend. 
Baloo disguised himself as a lady monkey. But King Louie was not fooled for long. A wild chase followed, and the whole ancient temple was shaken down. The three friends escaped. After the trouble with King Louie and his band, Bagheera and Baloo tried to tell Mowgli that there would be even greater danger in the jungle. Once again, Bagheera insisted that Mowgli go to the man village. No, no, Mowgli cried. I do not want to go to the man village. Without another word, he disappeared deep into the jungle. Again, Bagheera and Baloo searched for Mowgli. But Shere Khan, the tiger, found him first. Shere Khan was furious when Mowgli refused to be afraid of him. He bared his great fangs and leaped. Shere Khan landed just a few inches away from Mowgli. He landed with a thud because Baloo had grabbed the tiger's tail. The big bear had gotten there just in the nick of time. Shere Khan lashed about, trying to get at Baloo, but the bear hung on. When Shere Khan could not reach Baloo with his fangs, he tried to shake him loose. Shere Khan cracked his tail like a whip. Suddenly, a storm came up. A lightning bolt flashed down and set a nearby tree afire. Mowgli saw a way to save Baloo. He knew the one thing Shere Khan feared was fire. Mowgli took a burning branch in his hand and ran toward the tiger. The fire frightened Shere Khan so much that he took off like a rocket. We'll never see him around these parts again, Bagheera sighed in relief. Mowgli, Bagheera, and Baloo promised they never would be parted by anything again. Just then, Mowgli saw something he had never seen before. It was a girl. She was getting water at a pool just outside the man village. What happened after that made Bagheera and Baloo sad. They were sad for only a few moments because they knew Mowgli was doing the right thing. They saw him smile as he picked up the water jug. Then they saw him go along with the girl to the man village. Mowgli's friends knew that was where Mowgli really belonged. They had brought him safely to his new home. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be fonder of my big home. The beautiful 
bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. You look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities, that's why a bear can rest at ease. With just the bare necessities of life When you pick a pawpaw or prickly pear And you prick a raw paw, next time beware Don't pick the prickly pear, my paw When you pick the pear, try to use the claw But you don't need to use the claw When you pick a pair of the big pawpaw Have I given you a clue? The necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Go bear! Go Try to relax in my backyard. If you act like that bee, you're working too hard. Don't spend your time just looking around for something you want that can't be found. When you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. I've reached the top and I had to stop And that's what's bothering me I want to be a man-man cub And stroll right into town And be just like the other men I'm tired of monkeying round Oh, I want to be like you I want to walk like you Talk like you You see it's true And it's like me
want to be you. I'm a real human. Don't try to kid me, man cub, and don't get in a stew. What I desire is man's red fire so I can be like you. <laughs> Give me the secret, man cub. Just clue me what to do. Give me the power of man's red flower and make my dreams come true. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. I wanna be like you. I wanna walk like you, look like you. You see, it's true. Set of twins. No one will know where man cub ends and the orangutan begins. <laughs> and when I eat bananas, I won't feel them with my feet. Cause I'll become a man cub and learn some etiquette. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. I wanna be like you. Ooh, ooh. I wanna walk like you, talk like you. And it's like me, e -e. can learn to be you, ooh, ooh, man, to So, there's two Jungle Books. Yep, she's just going to look at me for that. Oh, yes, there are. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and and we actually have right here, and she was thumbing around on it before. We What did we find this at um, the one shop? Barnes & Noble, was yeah, it? This was, yeah, this was Barnes & Noble that had um, both books in the same book, I guess, yeah. in the same it is, volume together. It is the like jungle both volumes book. in the same book. Yeah, the yes. Jungle Books. Now, I haven't gotten a chance to read it, but you've read it through, I think, like twice now. No, I've, I've read it through once, but I really, really enjoyed it, so... And oh, because that looked like you came back to it after reading a bunch of more Jane Austen books. Well, she loves Jane Austen. I, I did come back and I reread some parts because they were some of the, the more famous parts that were used in books and things like that. And just to refresh my memory and just some of the really better Because it's not really... Uh, the Jungle Books, there are two books, but there's actual several stories. It's more like a, a books that have several short stories about animals. And really, the stories that we are familiar with are like the first three in the first book and you know 
you get through Mowgli and the wolves and Shere Khan, and then that's it. So when I was reading the book, I'm like, oh man, I'm only three stories in, and we're already done with Shere Khan, so what could the rest of this book possibly have in it? And the good news is that it has so much more. So there are more stories about Mowgli um, that are in there that are just as good as the ones that... Um, that we know and love. There is um, Ricky Tiki Tavi, which is one that uh, Chuck Jones uh, made a cartoon. Yeah, of. we we tried to watch that. And we, I, I dozed off. Yeah, it um, it's it's you know it tells the story. We and uh, but uh, the book and it actually was really close to the book, really faithful to the book. So um, you know, if you want a real quick synopsis of what that story is, you can YouTube it and find yeah. it. Find it but on just, there. Just good. search for Chuck Jones and Jungle Book, and I bet you'll find some of these because he, he yeah. did at least two that we saw. Yes, because uh, the characters are very different. They they are, and uh, that's kind of what I wanted to get into because we when uh, Eric and I were going through the production, which you all have heard, King Louis was created by the original screenwriter. And he's he was, not in the book. He's not in the book he's at all. Not in the book at all. Which is actually something else in the production. I want to you know get out there. Okay, so so King Louis was created by the original guy uh, who was writing the screenplay before Walt did not like what he was doing and it was too dark because he was trying to make it as dark, I guess, as the book is at times. And so he, you know, they had a little discussion about it that didn't go very well, and the guy was gone. Uh, and so Walt brought in a new team and uh, basically told the new writer, well, here's the book, but don't read it. Uh, but I guess they liked the idea of King Louie, but they thought it'd be more fun as a comical character. And so then in the 1967 film, you have a comical King Louie. Uh, but in the book, you will not find anything. And the one thing that we did find in the production, and apparently it's not completely accurate, is it there was we saw that in, like in a second Jungle Book, it was mentioning that there was like a a treacher that some poacher grabs Mowgli to to some treasure, and that's where they got the idea of King Louis sitting on a treasure. And you said that there was a treasure, but there's no poacher grabbing Mowgli. And the citation that we found on it is something about uh, something on a DVD. Uh, um, special it, features, yeah. which maybe they're talking about something that they used in one of the uh, like the second Jungle Book movie. Mm-hmm. Because they did do a second animated, which I've never seen. And they also did use it in that, the previous attempt at a live action where they had uh, Jason Scott Lee as a, a grown-up Mowgli, which I don't know if that one stuck to anything in the Jungle Books. Is there anything similar at all in that? Uh, not, not really, no. Although I did like that one. It was It was fun. fun. I, I liked that one. Yep. Um, but here's... Okay, so there's two times in the book that Mowgli visits um, some ruins, um, and I forget what they call it in the book. They, call it, they have names for, you know, uh, things that we might call it a ruins of whatever. You know, city, but they called it some dark places. I think that's what they called it, or something like that. Um, and so, actually, the first time is when the monkeys steal him. They call him the Bander Log, and they steal him. And but King Louis is not there, so it proceeds similar to what we know of in the story. And Baloo and Bagheera do get in on it, but it actually is Ka who is his friend in the book. And Ka actually Ka's is not trying to eat Mowgli. No, Ka is not trying to eat Mowgli. Dun, dun, dun. Nope, Ka is his friend. And actually, the second time he goes and visits um, one of the ruins, Ka actually goes with him because Ka tells him a story. Mowgli wants to go see this place, um, and basically they want to go see a white uh, cobra who is guarding the treasure. Well, the treasure is cursed. And so Mowgli takes a liking to an item. And I don't want to tell the whole story, but he takes a liking to the item. But then after he removes it, he realizes that it really is cursed. And there are some other humans that get involved because he, they pick up the item that Mowgli discards because he realizes it's cursed. And then Mowgli has to return it um, 
you know, but it is. It's a cursed place, and it, okay. everything about well, I'm it. Don't tell is. them too much. So anyway, but it's a really great encourage story. People to read the book, don't the But yeah, you want to you want to <laughs> you want to read the book, um, and it's got more than just jungle stories, and that was the one thing that surprised me. Is there yeah, are Ricky Tiki Tavi? I mean, it was it was mainly around uh, some people. Yes, it was uh, like a mongoose. A mongoose, mongoose gets washed up, um, like on some, basically on somebody's doorstep, and they take him in, and um, and there's some fun that happens. With yeah, there's some cobras that are involved and all yeah. that good stuff. Mongoose uh, fighting cobras. That's you know they're mm-hmm. they do. Um, so. But there are stories in there um, of uh, elephants and talking, and you do get hints of like um, what was going on at the time with the English, and they call them I think they call them white men, and there are the white people anyway that are in there and, and versus the you know the indian local indian yeah the local indian yeah. folks and some of their stories that kind of reminds me a little bit about the uh the old aesop fable about the brahmin uh the brahmin musicians with the the donkey and the like there was like a horse and they talk amongst themselves so there's a couple of stories that are like that where the elephants you hear the elephants talking amongst themselves and um, you get a little hint of where uh, Disney got the idea of having the elephants tromping through the forest. And there's a whole story about um, letting in the forest and um, the elephants. And it, it's inspired by the elephants going through and, and kind of destroying some things and letting in and letting in the jungle. Okay. Um, well, I mainly want to get into like somehow the characters are different. Okay. Also, because you know otherwise you'll end up telling too much of the book. And we now, we might at some point record the audio because I, I have mentioned before and I haven't gotten chance to do any of this of making some special feature for patreon donors where we're going to maybe start doing chapters out of some of the books that inspired disney films and reading those and having some fun with it uh and that this is a project that we can do because we we this have a be lot a good of one we have, short stories yeah we have a lot you know like winnie the pooh and uh I, we've got some of the brothers grim fairy tales which includes snow white and stuff but uh uh, one thing that was really weird when we watched the, uh, and I, I thought about sharing some of the audio with y'all, but y'all should just go watch this on YouTube, but on the Chuck Jones, uh, it's, and, and you said it was following almost word for word the almost book, word for where word. Mowgli is brought to the Wolf Council and they have to vote on the law and everything, and Shere Khan is of course saying, well I have a claim on the boy, but Baloo is... The lawgiver, law, keeper of the law guy. He's Which not, is totally opposite of what he is in the story. Yeah, he was boring. He was nowhere near as fun as what Disney did to Baloo. You know, he he uh, yeah basically was. I'm here to, and I taught all the the law the um, wolves the law and they learned from Baloo and he was very much you know this is this is the law by the book and and yeah, Disney decided to take jungle. him totally opposite direction and laws. But he sticks up for Mowgli. He does. So he's still a good guy. Baloo and Bagheera, does. you said, was like a hunting buddy for Mobley, Bagheera, and not really so much because Bagheera in the Disney presented him as kind of a he's kind of a guardian, and he kind mm-hmm. of tries to instruct him and is watching out for Mowgli, and that's where you should be from Bagheera. He is a little bit, but he's also a lot of a like a lot of a hunting buddy. He's he's really more of a buddy than Baloo is in the book, um, and so they do. And but there are times that you know Mowgli doesn't you know understand um, what they call the spring running when that's when all the animals go and they find mates and things like that and even Bagheera well, leaves Mowgli's him. got nobody to make uh-huh. with in the jungle yeah and so <laughs> he doesn't he's a little boy he yeah. doesn't understand that but uh, other than that like Mowgli is with him like all the time and then, then he'll be with Ka. So there are some stories where he's so, with Ka, and they're doing some fun things but I bet there's uh, like a ton of characters that got left out then. there is yes um the 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 uh, the cartoon well, one <laughs> does mention um, Hathi, which is the the elephant. Yeah, and he is not. Of course, a, they call him Colonel Hathi. Colonel Hathi. Well, that comes from in the book. Um, he was with people for a while, and so um, like he was 
owned, and I don't remember exactly all the details, but anyway, he escaped, and so that's probably where they got that from. Um, but the elephants um, are also part of the lawgivers, and so they mentioned the Peace Rock in the movie, and there is a story all about the Peace well, Rock. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about the movie here in a couple okay. of uh, next segment. But okay, so they have Hathi and uh, things that they left out. Okay, Mang the bat. So they left out. Yeah, just briefly. Okay, just, just there a few is a, characters. There's a kite that you see in the new movie flying. And a kite around. is a type of a bird. It's a type of a bird. It's the bird that you'll see flying around, screeching every once in a while, and, and the, the animals movie. in the live yeah, action movie. And the animals kind of turn like they're listening to him. But he actually does show up quite a bit in the book, and he does a lot of information giving, and people get a lot of his news from the kite. So, so he got. Looks left like out. some of these other characters we'll be able to talk about here when we talk um, about the movie. Should we go ahead and turn the corner and talk about the movie? Well, I guess so, because I'm kind of thinking You're going that, that way direction. a little bit, okay. yeah. All right, so let's jump to our movie review. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken! Oh, good! can't learn to run with the pack one of these days you'll be someone's dinner i can't help but notice there's this strange odor today man is forbidden safe for you. But this is my home. Only man can protect you now. Poor sweet little cub. What are you doing so deep in the jungle? You are a man cub who wants to live in a jungle. How do you know that? Kid, I got ears. My ears got ears. Only I can protect you. Forget about your worries in the strife. What's that? That's a song about the good life. He will stop at nothing until he has this boy. If anything happens to that kid, I'll never forgive myself. Let's be on our way. But I'm helping Baloo get ready for hibernation. Bears don't hibernate in a jungle. Not full hibernation, but I nap a lot. Okay, so that was, of course, the trailer again for the Jungle Book movie, which we did get a chance. We 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 had to set aside some money specifically so we could go and check it out, and I'm glad we did. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. And uh, so the, the fun part is, is, okay, so you have the 1967 animated Jungle Book, which is... 
extremely loosely based off of somewhere between these books, and now you have a movie who is now loosely based off of the animated, throwing a little bit more of the book back into it. Yeah, they, they it, you could tell they tried really hard to give a little bit of what was in the book and some of Mowgli's stories in there. Um, and do you want me just to go ahead with that, or? Well, a little bit, but we got it now related towards the movie because you did mention well. there were some characters that like because the movie, I. I was really amazed with the animals in the movie. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell half the time if they were using a live shot from a live animal or if it's computer. And I, you know, when, when we looked in the credits, there was a lot of, you know, there was mention of Jim Henson's Creature Shop and some puppeteers. So it looks like somewhere between a mixture between, had to have used some live animals at some point with some puppetry and some really good computer effects. They made very believable animals that you, it wasn't mm-hmm. like watching, um... Uh, the Robin Williams movie—I wanted to call it Zoolander, but that's completely uh, Jim, uh, Jumanji. That's Jumanji. the word. Oh, okay. Jumanji, the most fake-looking animals you've ever seen in your life. Well, that was early computer. Yeah, I know, but this, you know. this is like light years ahead. These are very believable mm-hmm. that these are real animals, and even though some of them might be fake animals, they're just the cutest things you'd ever see, mm-hmm. like the uh, little wolf cubs that are like Mowgli's brothers and sisters. That, yeah, that's the one that they try to squeeze in from the book. Gray. Gray. Although um, I guess Gray is supposed Gray's to be older. much older. In the He's book. presented as a cute little puppy. Yes, he in is. The movie. But it was I was glad to see having read the book that he was put in there because he does play a big role. With and Mowgli. they did go and give uh, Mowgli's adoptive parents their names. Yes, uh, um, at least the mom. They didn't get the dad in. Yeah, Akila. No, he's not the dad. Well, he's, he's, he's the, the pack leader. He's so the pack leader, but he's not. Pack leader would have kind of, and they no. kind of presented him like he would have been the father. No, in the book, he has a different. Father. He has a different father. Wow. Okay. Akeela, Akeela's, but in the movie, Akeela. they present Akila as yes. being like a father figure to Mowgli. Yes. Okay. You know, the they have him leader. teaching so him. Yes. So, and I forgot the mother's name. I, I, I like that. Raksha, Rakisha. It's in there, but she's the demon, is what they call her because she's very ferocious. And they they mentioned that actually in the live action movie and even the line I noticed when we watched the Chuck Jones things where she actually does say I don't care what he is he's mine yeah I like she, that she's they, very possessive of him yes and some real kind of mother bonding He, you know you do mm-hmm. kind of feel the emotion of like mom you know even though mm-hmm. yeah he's she's a wolf and and you know the other thing is I noticed Mowgli is never a point because with us we're thinking oh we're friends with the animals we're like oh I want to pet the animals mm-hmm. Mowgli never treats them like they're animals Mm-mm. He's not no. goes around pet them. You know, he might hug one of them because it's. But it's a, like, oh, we're friends, we're family. Hug, not like you would cuddle your cat. No, it's the jungle law. Like everybody, you respect every every people, and they're looked at as, as people, and so they they kept that, um, you know, in the in there. You know, yeah. Which was very cool, because he just seemed to kind of just blend in. Because I know with me, I'm like, oh, look at the cute little puppies. And they want Mowgli to play. And Mowgli's like, not right now. I'm kind of upset. Because uh, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. You know, Bagheera, of course, being the guardian, knows eventually mm-hmm. Shere Khan will come back for him. is trying mm-hmm. to teach him how to be fast and run with the pack and make sure he mm-hmm. will survive. And, and of course, just like the animated uh, story, the whole thing is, well, Shere Khan is out there. He really wants to get you. It's really not safe for you to be here. You don't really belong in the jungle. Uh, we need to take you to the man village. And I, the, I like the way they presented this where Mowgli's way that he kind of stands out is what they are calling his tricks, but it's really just because he, he's a human. He can make tools and, and, and do clever things that the animals can't do. And, but that, that it kind of that freaks out the animals like Bagheera. Bagheera's just like, oh, what are you doing? You know, and, and even the pack leader, Akila, is just telling him, oh, no, what, what, what are you using your tricks again? And so all the things that make him human make him stand out, but it's also things that make him human that, and, and, but yet, 
well, behaving like the animal and respecting the, the jungle law that makes him who he is to where he still fits in in his own unique way, which I'm not going to get into at the ending, but you kind of know that that's where it's going. Yeah, in the book there is there is that tension between man wolf like and that's something different in the in the movie. The movie he he uh I'm a man, you know, like that seems to be more of the thrust, but in the book he's very much I'm a wolf. I'm a wolf, you know, and it takes With man tendencies probably. And it, it takes a lot of the animals having to, you know, especially Bagheera, you know, you're not you're not a wolf, you're a man. You yeah. know, there are things that, you know, you are going to be able to do or not do because, you know, you're a man. But the animals in the book still try to train him up to be, you know, the fast and the smelling and everything like that. that yeah. But they do draw distinction. There is it still is a tension between man, animal, you yeah. know, what am I? Yeah. Because unlike Tar- you know, like Tarzan, you read that book and he's kind of, eventually, he just kind of is on his own. And he's, because he's a man, he's able to do things the animals can't. And he's able, you know, to make things and whatever and Mowgli was kind of that same way and it's interesting to see Mowgli because he, he still has that same kind of episodic adventures with different animals nice encounter with Ka which this is the one time that, that alright granted you um if you go to YouTube right now and you look at the Dis- find the Disney Vivo, you can hear three songs from the live action Jungle Book. You can hear Trust in Me, you can hear uh, Wanna Be Like You mm-hmm. and Bare Necessities. They are in the movie, but they're in the credits. Trust in me is not going to be brought up when you see Call, but, but I understand why because Call actually helps understand their, this version of Mowgli's backstory, which is very important to the main story. Uh, you do get a little bit with uh, with Baloo, where they're kind of singing Baron Necessities floating along. They only do like one verse twice over. Uh, I'll warn you now. You know, Bill Murray not really known for his great singing ability, and neither is the little boy. I don't think they did a very I good job. I think it of lends it. more realism to it, yeah. though. And I love that it was in there, and they were singing along. I think Christopher Walken did a fairly good job with "I Want to Be Like You" because he made a great giant King Louis. King Louis is this huge orangutan, which orangutan's not in India yeah. whatsoever. So they're uh, Borneo. Yeah, so they're not. He's not supposed to be there at all because he's not in the book. Yeah. Like I, I feel like the little groundhog. He's not in the book. Not in the book. Not in the book. Um. As, but they found a way to almost balance where you have that King Louis sense of fun and just ha- his level of cool, but he they made him where he's scary. And Shere Khan is scary in this one. He's not just mm, proper. And he voiced by Idris Elba, uh, for anyone who's paying attention. Idris Elba, of course, um, I can't think of the character's name in Thor. You know, he's the he keeps watch over the Rainbow Bridge, you know, in Asgard. Uh, but he's got this great voice and this great presence at Shere Khan and makes him, of course, very kind of scary, you know, and he's... Uh, really great job with bringing in some of these characters as Mowgli encounters them to life and I actually think Christopher Walken did a good job with the song and I'm glad it was there and if you watch in the credits they will go through and play some ver- full versions of the songs full instrumentation Richard Sherman quality though. although uh, it's still Christopher Walken singing Scarlett Johansson does sing Trust in Me and I think she does a really wonderful job she did a really job. good job uh, and then they have uh, I cannot think you know Eric has mentioned the guy's name already uh, it's like Dr. Something who did a wonderful version of Corella de Vil in uh, Hunter one Dalmatians in the live action. He does a version of The Bare Necessities during the credits, which is definitely worth listening to. And if you would like the soundtrack, I will dig out and put a link from iTunes here in the show notes so you can pick up the uh, the soundtrack and then make sure that you are so therefore supporting the show when you make your purchase on iTunes through the NeverlandPodcast.com. Um, you mentioned Shere Khan, um, and just was wanting to throw something in that's different from the book. Now, the book says he's lame, but they don't explain how. So Disney has interpreted it as he's got the eye that yeah, is Yeah, you probably have seen he's is, got a scar, but we won't get it. 
but no, and the book doesn't explain how he was lame, but it does go into explain like why the animals don't really like him. And you do get yeah. if you read the book and you, you get to where they talk about the peace rock, they do explain like the tiger and man and and why there's issues there. And I like the peace rock thing because that makes sense with animals. That mm-hmm. so the, that's directly out of the book. And but it's basically when they have the dry season, if it gets really dry to where their watering hole gets so low that there's barely any water and everybody has to come to this last plate, and you see this rock that's normally underwater, and they call it the peace rock. And if it shows, then it's peace. Everybody will come and share the water. And the predators will leave everybody alone. Everybody's just, you know, we're all just going to come because we all need water. Because water, like water comes before food. Water, yes. yeah. I, I, and, I, and this is a time for all the animals to kind of, you know, talk and see what's going on. And that's, of course, when Shere Khan makes his nice little speech. But I like some of the things, you know, some really good character stuff in there. I really enjoyed having them there. And I'm glad it's something mm-hmm. from the book because that was cool. Mm-hmm. And they it, did yeah, make some prominence. It's one of the neater stories, I thought. Yeah. I, was, I was reading the book before. And, of course, I saw it before the movie. They put some importance to what, what makes a man is the red flower. Fire, uh, which I'm glad that they brought that over from King Louis, uh, but they made it more of a significant plot point. Now, that's is that a plot point at all in the book? It is in the book, um, and they do. That's how Mowgli kind of gets the upper hand at Shere Khan around um, the the wolves' little meeting place at the, initially to run Shere Khan out, but then later with the death of Shere Khan, that happens in a totally different way. It's not the way that the movie presents it, but the movie was headed towards the animated feature yeah, with the ending of was. Shere Khan. Yeah. Um, but they do have a little nod to that. Like, they kind of indicated early on, as Mowgli is escaping from Shere Khan, a little bit of the mode in which that will happen, but you have to read the book to find out. Yep, and or you know, if you uh, start supporting us on Patreon, I do plan on getting around to recording. Maybe this will be one of the first ones. I haven't decided what I want to read first, but I'll we will try to you. do this. We will try to do this. Alrighty, but that was our review. Basically, we'd say overall, go see it, right? Yes, thumbs up, two thumbs, thumbs up. Thumbs up, two thumbs up. Lots of fun. Maybe the smaller kids might find something a little scary because there are some animal fights. But they most of the animal fighting seems to happen in the dark. And so you can't see a lot of it, so it's not like horrible. It's, it's more implied. Yeah. Than so and there was a kind of younger kid in front of us, and I don't think he got scared of anything. No. So I think you'll be all right, you know. Yeah. But I figure I got to put it out there for parents that might be concerned about animal violence, mm-hmm. you know, because it is very realistic. But definitely lots of fun, good story, uh, and maybe read maybe the a book. Few tears. <laughs> <laughs> read the book. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. 